Welcome again to the Mindful, Beautiful and Thriving podcast series by Tarika Foundation. This is a series that's focused on youth mental health and currently we are doing the segment on parenting and more specifically learning skills of mindful parenting. With me is again Gayatri Narayanan who has been walking us very skillfully through the steps of mindful parenting. Welcome again Gayatri. Thank you Lena, it's lovely to be back with you. So just to recap, so far we've been walking through this really amazing acronym of needs where Gayatri has talked to us in the last few episodes to do a clean observation, which is the O. And then in the last episode, we talked about how to be aware of your thoughts and feelings. And that allows us to also be aware of the thoughts and feelings, or at least the feelings of your child. And so moving to the next alphabet in the off needs acronym. So we've talked about observations, O, feelings, which is F. And now is the topic of N needs. So Gayatri, what do you mean by needs in the context of mindful parenting? Yeah, that's an important question. So the way I like to define needs is that they are a universal requirement for a healthy, happy life. And this is something that every human being has. Every human being has needs. And not just every human being, every organism in this planet has needs. Needs for survival, to give birth, to more life, to continue the process of life. So this is something that's very universal and applies to all species on this planet. So, but when you take human needs in particular, there's a huge range of needs that we humans experience from morning to night. So they could be anything from, you know, a need for understanding, need for acceptance, uh, need for connection, need for rest, need for warmth and clothing, for shelter, for respect, a need for peace, for learning, for expression, a need for trust. I mean, there's just so many needs and there's hundreds of them. And Marshall Rosenberg, in his work on nonviolent communication, uh, has a list of feelings and needs. And there's hundreds of feeling words and hundreds of needs words. So as a human being, we have these all day long. Now, the thing is, we, we make a mistake when we confuse the strategies that we use to meet a need with the needs themselves, right? So we all have strategies to meet these needs and some of them are helpful and some of them are not, right? So a child may have a need for connection and the way the child expresses the need for connection is by yelling or shouting at you. But underlying that behavior is the actual need for connection. So when we pay attention to just the outward expression of somebody's behavior, we're missing that underlying need. So where we have conflict is in the strategy to meet the need, not in the needs themselves, because the needs are universal and they're not right or wrong. You know? So even if a child has a need for connection, but the parent has a need for, for rest, right? And maybe the parent just wants to put their feet up and have a glass of wine and just relax. But the child comes in and says, you know, I have this need for connection and you're not giving me this need. And so here I am yelling and screaming and being rude and uh, calling you names. 
so the important thing in mindful parenting is to slow yourself down enough to recognize that, oh, here's the outward expression of trying to meet the need, but here's the underlying need, or maybe this is the underlying need. And you can check with your child in that moment and say, hey, are you needing to spend some time with me right now? Are you looking for connection? Is that what you're really needing right now? You know, and so that becomes the expression of empathy then in that moment, because you're now connecting with that need of that child. So basically what I'm saying here is that the needs are never in conflict, even though they may appear to be in conflict, the needs are never in conflict because they are a universal human need. But the strategies to meet those needs may be in conflict. So that's just a brief description of what I mean by a need. I liked how you pointed out that the outward behavior the child is showing is actually a manifestation of the underlying need, which we often don't even think about. Like, why is he or she behaving the way they are in that moment? So it's a great reminder to think about what are they needing in this moment? What's happening with their needs? Right. And actually, one more point I'd like to make here is that feelings are connected to needs. So last time when we spoke about feelings, what happens is when a particular need is not met, when you have unmet needs, they bring up these what we call so-called negative feelings, right? So you start to feel angry, you feel sad, you feel scared. You know, So when certain needs are not being met, they then arise in those kind of feelings. And when your needs are met, then you feel happy, you feel peaceful, you feel calm, you feel joyful, and all the other, you know, the positive kind of feelings that we experience. So feelings are directly related to needs and whether the needs are met or unmet. That makes total sense. So Gayatri, I'm sure based on the developmental stage of life the child is in, they may have different needs because like you said, there are a wide array of needs. But since we are focusing our talk primarily to help uh, parents of teens, what would be some of the needs of a teen that does a parent need to be more aware of, in tune to, so they can be making that connection between, oh, this feeling that my child had was probably happening because of this unmet need that I wasn't being able to fulfill in that moment. Right. When it comes to adolescence, they are in the process of trying to individuate and trying to establish themselves as separate beings uh, and sort of pulling away from parents and pulling away from being dependent on parents. So in that stage of their life, one of the big needs that they have in that moment is the need for choice, for example being able to choose how they want to live their lives, you know, being able to choose what to do. And parents at that stage are having to learn themselves how to let go and allow the child to make some of those choices which the parent had been making for them previously. So the need for choice is a big one among adolescents. Another need that teens often have is the need for autonomy, for freedom, to be able to go do what they want to do, to be with their friends, to choose whether they want to hang out with their parents' friends. You know, they may not want to do certain things that they were more willing to do early on. So things like that. They also need, for example, appreciation. They want to feel valued. They want to feel recognized for who they are. They want to have a sense of belonging. You know, they want to be heard without judgment. For example, they may have a need for creative expression to be able to do their singing and dancing and listen to their kind of music and not the kinds of music that the parent may want them to hear. They may have a need for learning 
and they definitely have a need for trust. They want the parent to be able to trust them. And that's a very big need for adolescents, need for respect, because as they're getting older, it's very important for them to feel that the parent respects them, trusts them, that they value their opinions, uh, they value their choices, and they need support. And this is the tricky thing with adolescents, because on the one hand, they want autonomy and choice. But on the other hand, they also want to feel supported. They also want to feel safe. They also want to know that they can count on their parents when they need them and that they have a home to come back to, even if they make a mistake. So those kinds of things. So they really need that trust. They need that support. Uh, So those are some examples of needs that may be expressed in the teenage years. Yeah, that makes sense. So I'm thinking all those needs that you described as you were mentioning those, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I see all of those in my teen daughter. And while it makes sense why they are looking for those needs being met, it is also, I think, a challenge for parents to have that delicate dance between giving them that space and autonomy as well as being there for them and being that support for them when they need you. So I'm curious to understand now that you've walked us through at least three different steps of the off needs skill, the observation, feelings, and needs, what do we do next? So it is important for us to be able to then make a request of your child, right? So for example, if you have a need for order and cleanliness, that's a very valid need that you have as a parent. And the child may not have that need in that moment because they're too busy talking to their friends or playing a video game or, you know, watching a show on Netflix or whatever it is that they're doing. To them, that cleanliness and order is not a need of that particular moment, but you have that need. So now we get to this topic of requests and how do you make a request? Now, the first thing to understand about requests is that they're not a demand. And many parents are used to the language of demands, right? You make a demand of your child and say, hey, go clean that room. And, you know, and the tone of the voice is different. The way the demand is made immediately will put the person on the receiving end in a defensive stance. Because it's natural that when you make a demand of a person, it's not conducive for the other person to actually meet that demand. Or if they do, they do it reluctantly. And, you know, they have feelings of anger or resentment or something else that comes along with that. So the language of demands is usually kind of harsh. It has that expectation of obedience, like, you know, you do this or else. And usually there's some kind of consequence or you're threatening some kind of punishment, you know, when you make a demand. And in all of those cases, the child is not doing or at least meeting those demands in a way where they feel respected. They're just doing it either just to comply so they don't get into trouble or they try to find a way to continue to do what they're doing, but being dishonest about it so that you don't find out about it. So then Again, that that kind of breaks the trust, you see. So a request is really a very respectful way of asking your child to do something. So it could look something like this. Let's take the example of cleaning up the room, which which was something that we took last time as well. So in that moment when you notice, okay, the room is messy, you've connected with your feelings, like you're upset or irritated or, you know, and you've got your need for cleanliness and order that you've identified. And you've also kind of identified the need of your child, kind of trying to guess, okay, this is what's happening. So in that moment, you've already kind of quietened down a little bit. You've become present. You're aware of your feelings. You're aware of your needs. 
you're trying to connect with the feelings and needs of your child. And in that moment, you can make a request, right? So this is a request that is of the category where you are trying to impact the behavior of your child. That's one class of requests, right? So the language of requests would sound something like, hey, when you finish playing your game within the next half an hour, when you're done with what you're doing, would you be willing to please clean up your room and put your things away? You're making a request of them. And they may come back and say, hey, mom, I can't do it in half an hour, but maybe in 45 minutes because I need to finish up this other thing or I'll do it later this evening. So you have to be willing to hear the no. It may not always be a yes, but that's part of the deal. It's like you're making a request. They may come back with something that you may then have to negotiate with again. And then, yeah, so it's a constant process of negotiation, especially with adolescents. It's not a a clean process. It may take a couple of iterations of going back and forth before you come to some agreement about how that need can be met. There's two other categories of requests that come up usually. One is to check whether your child understands you. So you could ask a question like, hey, would you tell me what you just heard me say? So that's a request also, right? But it's a request to check to see whether your child has understood you. Another request could be to understand the feelings and needs of your child. You could make a request that sounds something like, would you tell me how you feel about what I just said? So when you ask a question like that, it indicates that one, that you're curious about their feelings and needs, right? So it shows a certain care from the side of the parent that you want to understand what they're feeling and needing. And so you're asking them, hey, would you tell me how you feel about what I just said? So that immediately shows respect. And the likelihood of your child actually responding back to you with respect is much higher than if you just said, hey, I don't care what you're feeling and needing right now. Just do what I'm asking you to do. It's a very different quality of interaction when you come at it from the point of requests rather than demands. Well, that was beautifully explained, Gayatri. I am already thinking as you are giving us an insight into the shift of treating the other person as equal, treating them with respect, which is, I think, one of the foundational difference between the parenting styles, mindful parenting versus I think we were comparing it to a a domination paradigm kind of parenting. A lot of parents might hesitate to ask questions as requests, as you mentioned, because my hunch is they may say, what if they hear a no? And what if the child says, I don't want to share my feelings about what you just said, or you know, especially with teens, there is a lot of defiance and a lot of moodiness, depending on how they are feeling at that time. So the compliance kind of even changes. What do you do in those circumstances? And how are we going to convince some of our listeners to actually try to make a request? Yeah, so this is a very common question that I get when I do my parenting classes, because, you know, when they hear me talk about requests and about compassion and about kindness, you know, the first thing they say, oh, my child is never going to listen to me if I speak to them that way. The only language they know is the yelling and the demands, you know, they're not likely to listen to me. And what I say to that is, you know, just give it a try. And invariably, what happens is when they actually try this, when they slow down the interactions, when they become present, when they connect with the child, more often than not, the child is actually willing to listen. 
and willing to engage. And it may still take a couple of iterations. You know, it takes a little bit of work from the side of the parent. It's not an easy fix. It takes time. It, it takes effort to rebuild the trust and to reprogram the relationship to one that has a sort of a positive, trusting, respectful dynamic. It takes time to create that. But once you establish that, it's a virtuous cycle. I mean, the children treat you with respect. They are more likely to listen to you. They're more willing to cooperate with you. So the whole behavior kind of changes as you practice this. And invariably, the parents come back to me, you know, two weeks later or three weeks later, they'll say, hey, you know what? I'm noticing these changes in my child. And they're actually listening to me when I ask them something. And it's music to my ears when I hear that, because it really validates this method, because it really does work. Because fundamentally, the basis of this parenting paradigm is one of honoring the person in the child. And every one of us can resonate or identify with wanting to be seen, wanting to be understood, wanting to be respected, wanting to be trusted. This is something that we can all relate to as adults. So why should it be any different for a child? And so my answer to that question is just try it out. Just give it a shot and see what happens. Well, Gayatri, very beautifully said. I think I am convinced, you know, I liked how you were able to accept the fact that, yeah, it may take a few tries that you don't need to give up and it didn't work the first time. Or even if you have an inkling like, oh, this is not going to fly with my child. I think what I'm hearing from you is you're saying, just keep trying. If you hear a no, if there was no response as you expected, still try to show that you're staying patient and tolerant of that and keep having that interaction with them and it will start to change because the other person is now able to, I guess, appreciate that shift in parenting, appreciate that they are being treated with respect and love and kindness and compassion and I think that shift definitely should happen because like you're saying, that's what we all really want. So very, very beautifully explained. Thank you again. Thank you, Lena. Thank you for joining us. You're listening to the podcast series by Tarika Foundation and it's called Mindful, Beautiful and Thriving. Stay safe and healthy till next time.